This is Testing Code, episode 25. I'm your host, Brian Aukin, and on this episode, we have Dave Hunt. We talk about testing web interfaces with Selenium. We talk about PyTest and several plugins he maintains, including PyTest Selenium, PyTest HTML, and PyTest Variables. We also talk about talks, XFail philosophy, working in Mozilla, and testing practices at both Mozilla and in the Selenium project, and a whole lot more. Today's podcast is supported by Patreon supporters. Visit pythontesting.net slash support to find out how you can help get more shows on the air and help me pay for services like audio editing and transcripts. I also have another supporter that I need to thank, and that's Michael Kennedy from the podcasts Talk Python to Me and and his, I mean, our new podcast, Python Bytes. If you haven't checked it out yet, um, please do. Michael has been a supporter of this show both through Patreon and just his moral and technical support from the very beginning of the show, and he's helping me to come up with ways for me to get more podcasts out faster. And for that reason, I would like to point out some stuff that he's got to offer. Um, I want to highlight the courses that he has provided at training.talkpython.fm. There are three courses there. And I think that they're very appropriate for many of you listening to this show. I know there are a lot of you that are great testers and great programmers, but sometimes feel like perhaps you jumped into Python headfirst without taking the time to learn some of the core principles of good Python programming. If you're in this boat, I think the first two courses are just right. And if you feel pretty comfortable with your Python but want to take it to the next level, the third might be just the sweet spot. So there's the first one is Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps. Although he does start out at the beginning of Python, I think eh, no matter where you're at, I think you'll learn something from this. The second is Write Pythonic Code Like a Seasoned Developer. I love this course. Especially like this course for people that feel real comfortable in other languages and want to stop thinking in C or stop thinking in Java or whatever they came from and start thinking like a Python developer. This course is for you. And the last is Python for Entrepreneurs. However, I don't think you need to be an entrepreneur to benefit from this. It even covers things like pyramid development which and continuous integration. So go take a look at training.talkpython.fm. Click on the courses and look at the list of topics covered. Power up your Python skills at training.talkpython.fm. Now on with the interview. Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. For people that don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Dave. I work for Mozilla. I'm an automation engineer, and that basically means that I, I work on the the tools um, that we use to write our automated tests. I mostly work on uh, UI automation which basically means anything that a user can uh, click on or interact with. So it's a very high level. Uh, some people would call it end-to-end uh, testing because it, it does sort of test the full stack. Yes, that's, that's what I do for Mozilla. I've been at Mozilla now for just over six years, and um, I'm also a, a contributor to the Selenium open source project, which I've been doing for... Uh, since about 2009, so about seven years. And um, yeah, so Selenium is, is a UI testing framework for the web browser. Okay, so the testing you do for Mozilla, is that 
Is that all through Selenium, or do some of the tests go through a different way to get at code? Most of what I do at the moment is through Selenium. Mozilla do have a number of different projects, and uh, some of those Selenium isn't appropriate for. So, for example, we have UI testing for Firefox itself as our flagship product. But those tests historically have used a number of different tools and technologies. There's a possibility in the future they'll be able to use Selenium. But um, yeah, so not everything is using Selenium, but most of what I do at the moment is. What is Selenium? So Selenium's a suite of tools, which basically the goal is to be able to simulate a user interacting with a browser. This sort of started with sort of executing JavaScript within the browser. And uh, there was a Firefox add-on called Selenium IDE, which allowed a sort of record and playback interactions. So it would notice when you're clicking something, it would have a way of locating that thing that you're clicking on and record that as a test action. And then once you've recorded your test, you'd be able to play it back and you'd see it running. There's, it's developed into the ability to run these tests uh, remotely with a Selenium server. And that allows you then to write these tests in many different programming languages. So there are basically client bindings for Java, Python, Ruby. There's a number of them for JavaScript. Uh, I believe there are some uh, for PHP as well. Does it have to be driven through something like Python or Java? Yeah, it needs to be. So, well, I suppose if you if you use the IDE, which is the Firefox add-on, you don't need any client bindings because really that's just recording your actions and playing them back. And the, the format that typically records in is a, is a table-based format in the format of command and then two arguments, which allows you to do things like um, verifying expected values. But it's very limiting. And so you get the full power of Selenium when you do use a proper client language where you can then use the whatever you're able to do in that language you'll be able to apply to your tests so if that mean maybe flow control or object oriented abstractions all that sort of thing so yeah the true power really is when you when you use one of those client bindings do you maintain the uh, pytest selenium so i've i've been using python since i joined mozilla before that i was involved more in the java side of things in doing so, joining Mozilla, being introduced to Python, being introduced to, to PyTest, we've built up a number of tools that help us to run our tests. And one of those is a, a PyTest plugin called PyTest Selenium, which really just allows us to simplify how we, we launch and maintain a browser instance. I also contribute to the uh, the Selenium project itself and most recently I've been contributing to the Python client bindings but uh, that's only been fairly recent. You don't have to use PyTest right? You can use unit test or something for controlling it? Yeah yeah so the Python client bindings are agnostic to the test framework that you choose to use. So yeah you could use you could use unit tests. Uh, we actually used nodes for a little while we switched to PyTest. The main reason we switched to PyTest was we wanted to be able to run tests in parallel, and we also wanted to be able to generate a uh, an X unit style report. 
and we had problems doing that in nose basically the report would be all messed up and there was an open issue for it. it didn't look like it was actually getting any attention and we found that PyTest did that for us and um, switched to PyTest and, and really in many ways haven't haven't looked back so most of you the testing you do right now is then in PyTest yeah actually I'm looking at the page right now there's quite a bit of goodies inside the PyTest HTM what am I looking at the PyTest Selenium project at the bottom of the list, I see that there's HTML reports. Is that different than the PyTest HTML plugin? or is So a little bit of history, really. When, when I, probably about four or five years ago now, I'd been working at Mozilla for a while, familiarizing myself with PyTest. And, and uh, we had a lot of duplicated code between our uh, repositories. So we had a, re- a repository for each one of our projects, and quite often we'd have a separate repository which included the, um, the UI tests for that project. And so we, using PyTest, we had a conftest.py, which is essentially a local plugin, which just instantiated the Selenium object for us and did some other stuff that was useful. But we were finding we had the same conftest.py in a lot of our different repositories. When we enhanced one of them, the others would, were not necessarily getting that the advantages of whatever that enhancement might be. And so I created a plugin that did all of the things that we wanted to do. And it was providing us with a Selenium instance was one of them. Generating a, a HTML report was another. And the other main one was injecting variables, in our case, credentials for the tests to use. Because some of our tests would require setting up an account first of all and then running the test with those credentials. And so we had one plugin that did all these things. Because it did so many things, we didn't, I'm terrible at naming things anyway, but I just called it Moz Web QA. So it's Mozilla Web QA plugin. Then fast forward four years or so, I'd learned a lot more about PyTest, a lot more about the plugins. I'd learned a lot about the fixtures at this point as well, which I think had been introduced in the, in the interim. And so I decided to take this plugin and break it apart and just have single plugins for the various different features. So one of those was PyTest HTML for the HTML report. PyTest variables was what we then used for injecting these credentials into our tests. And PyTest Selenium was the main one. So yeah, they all work together, but they can be used independently. I'm going to have to check out the PyTest variables. That sounds neat also. You've been at Mozilla for about six years, you said? Yeah, just over, yeah. When did you create these uh, plugins and stuff? How old are these? So, so yeah, I, I joined Mozilla in 2010. I think that MozWeb QA plugin was was introduced. Like, I want to say August 2011, perhaps, uh, maybe 2012 even. And then um, yeah, it was good. I mean, everything was just stable, working fine with the, with those. There, I had uh, a nagging, an increasingly nagging feeling that we should do more with those. But um, I changed team. I was originally working partly on Firefox automation, and that wasn't necessarily UI. And I was also working partly in the web automation. But then Mozilla had a lot of focus on a new project, which was our mobile operating system, Firefox OS. So for a while, I was working on that team, and I was doing similar kind of thing, working in, in UI automation, but I was using different tools. 
And so for a long time, those plugins or that, that main plugin was just really in maintenance mode. And I would jump in and I would fix something if there was necessary, something necessary to be fixed. And then a couple of years ago, I rejoined the web automation team, the web QA team. And I, yeah, I had this thing that I really wanted to just come back and tidy it all up. And so at that point, yeah, probably approaching two years now, I broke those out and, and created separate plugins. Okay. Well, these are really pretty cool. And I do notice that you have, you can use it to launch not only Firefox, but Chrome and Internet Explorer and just really anything. That's pretty cool. It basically just allows you to do whatever you can do with Selenium, but surface some of those things out on the command line and for convenience allows you to configure some of them in inside your setup.cfg or wherever your, your configuration is stored. For people who are just using Selenium in one project, you can just create your own fixtures that instantiate a Selenium object. But for us, we had very much very similar requirements on several projects. And so just having it centralized was useful. It's hard to know like uh, how many people are using your plugins, but it seems like um, even when it was the Moz Web QA, this one big plugin that did many things, we were still, we were even getting people giving feedback and raising issues. So people were using it, were finding it valuable. So yeah, I, I think that's the case also with PyTest Selenium. One of the things that you sent in your list was that you're using Tox as well. We've just started using Tox really. I, I was only really introduced to it this year. Well, at the at PyTest Developer Sprint this summer, and that's when I spent a little bit of time getting getting familiar with Tox. And uh, I've set it up for each of my plugins. It allows me really easily to test on multiple Python versions. That's that's the biggest value I get out of Tox. And so I've started introducing it to some of the uh, projects at Mozilla. And I'm also, I, I've introduced it to the Selenium project itself for running their, their Python tests. You uh, described this briefly as a, as a shakeup. Was there resistance to, to your changes or how has that gone over? I was referring there mainly to the, the changes to the Selenium project itself. And it was a shakeup really because it was a big change. There was no resistance. There's very little resistance at all in the, in the Selenium project. There's a lot of, um, you know, if you've got the commit access, really you're trusted to do what's right for the project. This came about because I wanted to make some changes and some improvements to the Python client for Selenium. But at the time, the tests were very difficult to really understand how to run or to debug. And also what was possibly even worse, they weren't being run regularly on any kind of CI system. So it would be very easy to commit something you think would be an enhancement and improvement that would actually regress behavior and you wouldn't know about that necessarily until somebody raised an issue, even if there was a test that would have would have failed. So I wanted to first address this before I got too carried away with making enhancements to the Python client. The tests as they were, they were unit tests but they were being run using PyTest, but they were being built as part of the build system. There was essentially a, a template file, and the build system was rake, and it was basically taking this template and 
creating multiple suites. So there are several different browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, uh, PhantomJS, and there's also a, a remote. And so for each one of those browsers, a copy of the test suite was being written to disk. And then after that was all done, the tests were executed. So it meant that you couldn't just point you couldn't just say PyTest run this test because that didn't exist yet. You needed to always use the uh, build system to generate those tests and then you could run them. And so what I did is I threw away a lot of the rake template system and I just made all of the tests pure PyTest and introduced uh, fixtures for uh, parameterized fixtures for supporting the multiple drivers. So the drivers being the, um, the different browsers. And so now we have this common suite of tests that you can run directly. There's no template parts to those files. They're, they're just PyTests. And it takes on the command line a driver, and then one or more drivers, I should say. And then for each one of those drivers, it will run those tests. Now, are you... Uh, driving this from a some continuous integration server. Yes, so that was another aspect of what I what I wanted to do here is I wanted to get the tests much more easily maintainable and runnable locally, but I also wanted to make sure that uh, on every commit, every push, or every pull request, we run these tests. So Selenium was already using Travis CI and Jenkins. What I did is I made sure that once I had this hooked up using PyTest and using Togs, is I, I modified the Travis configuration to just be a, a multi-build or multi-job matrix and make sure that it was running the, um, the Python tests against each of those browsers. Each of the ones that that's possible in Travis, uh, for example, we can't run the Safari tests, the Internet Explorer Edge tests on Travis. And so, yeah, the situation we have now, every time a pull request is opened, every time a commit is pushed, the tests will all run. Now, one of the things that I've um, noticed with with a lot of the, continu- actually all the continuous integration servers, is that the plotting and graphing of the re- results is mostly based on pass-fail. I think maybe some of them do skip an error also. But PyTest has... Um, XPass and XFail, do you utilize those in either Selenium or Mozilla testing? We do in, in both. So, yeah, I'm a bit opinionated with, about the, the XFails, and I think it differs from some other people's opinions. So for an XFail, I am of the opinion that that test is always expected to fail. Perhaps you've written it before you've written the functionality, or there is a bug that is reproducible 100% of the time, you can exfile that test then and, and put a reason that is a reference to that bug. And then if that test starts passing, I actually want that to cause the suite to fail because something's changed here. However, the other opinion or another opinion is that uh, you can use it for marking tests that are flaky and fail sometimes. And when X fail is not uh, strict, which is unfortunately, in my opinion, the default, it means that those tests would, could start passing and they would still just be ignored. I mean, you, you have the coverage back, but um, you don't have that reporting back to you. So, yes, we use it for Mozilla. We, and we, I, I try to encourage that kind of use and behavior. Selenium has used it, but it has used it slightly 
differently still. And I think that was a, a misconception, a misunderstanding of the feature of X-Fails. That is, it's possible to decorate a test, uh, mark it as an expected failure, in which case, if it does encounter a failure, it's marked as X-Failed. But it's also possible to have a imperative X-Fail within the test. And if that's encountered, the test will always exit with that as its outcome, X-Fail. And it means that test could never X-Pass. And that's what was used in Selenium. And so I've I've removed all of those and I've made them all sort of decorated X-Fails. And it just then allows these tests potentially at some point in the future to X-Pass. And we can um, we can then remove the X-Fail and tidy that up. But um, when you were saying about the, the, the CI integration, yeah, you do just get a pass or a fail of the entire run. And that doesn't necessarily go into the details of which tests failed or um, which tests passed, which tests had these other outcomes. Best I've seen that deals with that is Circle CI, which allows you to publish artifacts. In fact, Travis does allow you to publish artifacts as well, but it's not as it's not surfaced so well on the UI. And when you can publish an artifact, if you can publish the HTML report, that includes all of your different test outcomes. I was curious about how you did that. So you, you use the uh, PyTest HTML and publish that as an artifact with, uh, so that yeah. when you look at details of, of a particular test run, you can yeah. see those. Yeah, okay. yeah because the, the XUnit style report really doesn't, I mean, you can have pass, fail, or skip. And I think X fails are, are marked as skipped. I, I don't know whether or not X passes are marked as skipped, but... Um, I think that must just go back to the origins of X-unit style tests not having these uh, other potential outcomes. There's an, a mapping between what the output of a test is in, in PyTest and what you can put into the, the uh, J-unit XML. So I'm actually kind of annoyed that we're still using uh, the XML style from Java to run our Python tests, but uh, that's the standard right now. You work at Mozilla. Where are you located? You're in England somewhere. I am, yeah. I'm in I'm in the southeast of England, in Kent. I work from home, so I'm a remote employee. There are a lot of us at Mozilla. Uh, it's not a requirement that you're, you live near an office. Really working for a, an organization that lives on open source means that if you have an internet connection, you can be productive and you can work. So um, I mostly work from home. Uh, there is a London office. I occasionally travel into that, but it's an hour and a half, at least, uh, journey each way. And I'm quite happy and probably more productive if I'm uh, working from home. But occasionally I have a trip out to um, California, where uh, in Mountain View, that's where our head office is. And then twice a year, the, the whole company gets together for an all-hands. Twice a year, that's cool. You get to rack up the uh, freaking flyer miles. and I have in the past, yeah. I've, uh, more recently, so when I joined Mozilla, I didn't have any children. I've now got two little boys. And so um, more recently, I, I've, I've perhaps favored to, to not travel so much. But um, it's a nice thing to be able to go and see new places 
And uh, yeah, I love I love traveling to, to conferences. In fact, a highlight for me this year was going to Freiburg in, in Germany for the PyTest uh, Developer Sprint. That was it was amazing to to meet such uh, awesome people all all working on an open source project. And, yeah, contributing their valuable time. Yeah, I, I would would have loved to have been there. I I know that I just uh, talked with uh, Rafael Pierzina, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and he was just talking about how awesome that sprint was. So, and I I also like how how you guys did the crowdfunding to try to get plane tickets for people that couldn't get them themselves. Yeah, it's, it's a it was a great idea. In fact, um, we had a, a, I was mentoring somebody during the summer to work on. Uh, some enhancements for the PyTest HTML plugin. It just so happened her internship sort of started just before Freiburg and, and, and the sprint. And, um, and so I suggested that she reached out and see whether or not that you know there's, there's some of the um, the funding can support her traveling out there. And, and it did. So it was great. She was able to start her internship working on a PyTest plugin, but surrounded by PyTest core contributors. If uh you work remotely. What is the main interaction you've ha- have with your coworkers? Is that is that through uh, email or the main would be IRC, but yeah, it's email, IRC, and video conferencing. I'm constantly on IRC. Pretty much the entire organization and many of our contributors are on IRC. Uh, that's where I live. That's that's effectively. I see that as if I'm logged into IRC. That's the equivalent of someone seeing that I'm sitting at my desk. The PyTest HTML plugin. That I assume does talk about X fails and X passes within it. It does, yeah. So any outcome that you can uh, generate from PyTest will be included in the HTML report. By default, there's all of the main outcomes: so pass, fail, error, X fail, X pass, and skip. There is support in there for another plugin, which is PyTest rerun failures, uh, which changes the outcome on a failure to rerun and then reruns a test. And so the HTML report will also um, show reruns and it can be enhanced for additional outcomes if, if there happen to be others that, um, that get added. Okay, rerun, so the outcome is a rerun and then you can rerun. So PyTest rerun failures was written by a Mozilla contributor and basically... It's a plugin I try to recommend people never use, <laughs> but it's very valuable for if in those cases where you absolutely have to use it. So if you have a situation where you have tests that are flaky due to environmental issues or something that is basically would be very, very costly for you to get to the bottom of and you know that it will pass next time and it's not really causing you a problem, then you can use PyTest rerun failures to either individually mark tests as known to be flaky or you can just say blanket rerun. So on the command line, you can say rerun up to five times, for example. And what it will do is if it encounters a failure on one of those marked tests or, or any test, if it's done on the command line, then it will automatically rerun that test and it will register an outcome of rerun. And then on the final attempt, it will record an outcome of whatever the outcome was. So it will it will still be failed. It will still allow a test to ultimately fail, hopefully uh, pass. Yeah, okay. I can see the danger there. So We had some environments that were particularly uh, troublesome. And um, the problem is someone had put on a blanket rerun on our Jenkins infrastructure for pretty much all of our um, tests. 
and um, it was fine. But that blanket rerun wasn't necessarily enough in one instance, so it was bumped up, and then it was bumped up. So in the end, we had five automatic reruns. When you're talking about unit tests, that's probably not too much of a problem, although I always prefer to either fix the test, fix the the intermittency. But the problem with um, UI tests and Selenium tests is quite often there's they take quite a long time to run. We would have instances where a test would time out looking for an element or waiting for an element to be displayed on the screen. And if that was the case, our timeout might have been 10 seconds and we'd be automatically rerunning that test five times. So we've now added almost a minute to our test suite runtime. However, our timeouts often weren't 10 seconds. They used to be configurable on the command line. I've removed that now, but at one point, I saw timeouts of five minutes being set. And so you had a test that would time out after five minutes and then be automatically rerun five times. Oh, so you'd, yeah. And if this was a common area of functionality, perhaps login, and 80% of your tests needed to log in, you suddenly have a test suite that takes hours to fail for you know, a genuine reason. And so that was a problem. And we've addressed that mostly by not relying on the rerun failures plugin and by I haven't so much hard coded the timeouts to 10 seconds but they're a lot harder to increase. Switching gears just slightly, I'm looking at the uh, PyTest HTML page, and I'm, I'm, of course, as a, I'm not always good about this, but I'll put a link to all the things that we've talked about in the show notes. There's a screenshot where it shows, it looks like there's a screenshot of the website that you're testing. Does that happen automatically, or is that something you can set up that, you should screenshot on failure or... I have to try and remember how we implemented it, but I'm pretty sure that what we did is in, in PyTest HTML is we implement custom hooks when we are generating the uh, report. And that allows you then to, in your own suite, you can have a local plugin using conftest.py, which implements this hook and adds additional data to the report. If you're using PyTest Selenium, we already do that. So by default, on failure, we'll gather additional debug information, such as we grab the HTML page source, we grab a, a screenshot. If we can, we grab the, the logs from Selenium as well, and they get uh, output in the report. But yeah, it's, it's simply, it's extensible. So if you're using PyTest HTML, you have some other information you'd like to put in there. It's fairly straightforward to do. There's an example in, in the readme as well. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm just looking at this and it didn't occur to me that I can use this for other things. So they, I know that you just explained it to me, but this hook wrapper thing, I can use this uh, report to in a different instance, I'm I've, uh, testing a device that has its own log files, and I could potentially then um, at the use a hook to say when when something fails, I can do some extra work. I could, like for instance, go out and grab grab the log files from the device and then include That's those. Right. Oh, that is so awesome. I'm going to have to try to get this into our into our system. This is great, <laughs> and I like that. I like the. Um, I didn't realize that you can use this in conjunction with a continuous integration, so that's that's really great and just uses it as an extra thing. You said you're using uh, Jenkins, so we use Jenkins as well. 
there's a plugin for Jenkins called Publish HTML Reports, and it works really well with this. Um, it basically gives you a, a link on the left-hand side next to a build uh, for the HTML report, and it will just show it, show it in, the, in the browser. One limitation is that um, since uh, I think it must be about a year or so now, there was a security issue in, in Jenkins, uh, which meant that they enforced CSP, which is Content Security Policy, on all files served via, via Jenkins. And so what that means is you don't get the JavaScript executing in the report. And it also meant for a while the CSS was broken as well because it, it wouldn't allow CSS if it was in line in the page. And so this is what um, Anna, my intern this summer, was working on, making sure these reports look good when CSP is enabled, but they'll function better and look better when they're not restricted by that. So it does work even if the CSP is, is on? Yep. Okay. Yes, it works and it looks pretty good. But it does mean that there's, so there's a couple of features in there. For example, at the top, there's a, a ability to filter by result. So you can, for example, just uncheck the past results and they will disappear from the report. So you can focus on what you're more concerned about, which is most likely the failures. There's also the ability to expand and collapse the test details as well. But those, those features don't work if you're looking at the page provided by a server that has CSP enabled, such as Jenkins. Okay. Which version of Python are you using for your tests? Most of Mozilla's tests are using Python 2.7. For all of my plugins and any package that I'm writing in Python, I'm trying to be Python 3 first and make sure they still support Python 2.7, but uh, primarily I target Python 3. And so something that is going to be part of my mission next year is to make sure all of uh, Mozilla's projects and test suites work in, in Python 3. And I'm actually working on getting the, the Selenium Python tests running in Travis against Python 3 as well. I'm hoping to land that in the next couple of days. Okay. And um, uh, have you guys upgraded to the the PyTest three? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we did that as soon as soon as possible. And we'd like to try and stay on the latest stable. And uh, yeah, the uh, one of the, the the very fun things that um, us PyTest nerds are uh, like is, is the uh, the change in how the yield keyword works in inside fixtures. Now, some of the fixtures that you've put in place for Selenium and HTML are predate this, but um, are you uh, utilizing this in any of the, your testing at Mozilla or at Selenium? So the Selenium suite uses uh, the yield keyword in fixtures. I'm a big fan of it. I think it makes the code much more pleasant to read. I'm a big fan of readable code, and maybe that's why I'm such a fan of Python. But um, no, those plugins don't currently use, I think there might be a yield fixture, as in a yield underscore fixture in PyTest Selenium now. But the reason is I like to support the latest and previous major versions of PyTest for the plugins. Oh, that makes sense. So I'm, I'm looking forward to when... PyTest 3.1 or indeed maybe even 4.0 come out and I'll be able to update all of those fixtures to use the yield keyword. Anybody that didn't listen to the last episode where I talked with um, Raphael, the yield keyword is when you set up a fixture in, in uh, PyTest, you can, the code in the fixture runs 
before the test until the yield keyword is hit. And then after the yield keyword, um, that code is wait, it's like held off and that happens after the test. Did I get that right? Yeah. You don't have to create a, a finalizer function and then add that to the request. It's just, it's the same thing, I, I guess, but it's, yeah, it's a little more pleasant. Had you used unit test or other frameworks before PyTest? Only very briefly. Okay. I joined Mozilla. They were using some Python in their testing and it was mostly a unit test. We very quickly went through Nose and then landed on PyTest. Fortunately, we covered Selenium, the Selenium PyTest, covered the HTML reports, Tox. So, Tox, you know, I have only played with Tox a little bit. Your Tox is a way to run the same set of tests against multiple configurations or being that like um, different Python versions. Is that what you're using it for? Yeah, primarily. So, my environments typically for, for one of my plugins would be making sure that it works on Python. 2.7 and then 3.3, 3.4 and 3.5. And then I typically have uh, additional environments for generating the docs if it's not just a readme and then doing flake 8, so Python linting and in some instances a coverage report as well. So Tox can take care of all of those and it just makes it nice and easy. Like You just run Tox on the command line assuming that it can find all of those versions of Python if you've got them installed then it'll just run all the tests for you. Do you also use Tox for uh, launching from Jenkins? We do run the tests through Jenkins uh, using Tox as well. So it's very powerful in Travis because you can specify multiple Python versions. And then there is a package called Tox Travis, which will match the um, installed version of Python to an environment in your Tox configuration and run that uh, without additional configuration. In Jenkins, what we tend to do is uh, we pick one of those environments. So we're only really running against Python 2.7 in our Jenkins at this point. You went to that Python sprint, PyTest sprint. What did you do there? <laughs> yeah, my intention was to do a few enhancements to some of my plugins and take advantage of the knowledge of the PyTest core developers that were present. What I ended up doing there, I did do a few of those things. I actually moved uh, a lot of the plugins that I developed into the PyTest dev organization. So I still am the, I consider myself the owner, uh, maintainer of those plugins. But it also means that um, there's more visibility from the core PyTest developers on those. And anybody could do a release if they needed to. But the other thing, I got involved in what was what was happening at the sprint. So I landed one patch with Oliver Bestwalter, and we dropped the dot, controversially, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. So that was my big uh, contribution during the sprint. My laptop has two stickers, one of them with the dot and one without the dot. <laughs> yes, I think, um, yeah, there were some, some people still supporting the dot. Yeah. Um, so that was my my main contribution. Uh, we also I worked with Danielle on a chain a fix that was bothering me personally, which was about root directory discovery in PyTest, and it was getting confused when you happen to have a value for a uh, command line option. Uh, that looked a little bit like a file path. And it was considering that as a potential test location and throwing off your root directory discovery. So that was fun uh, to really get into the um, the whole path discovery part of, of PyTest. It's a bit of a um, jungle. Cool. 
we're running out of time a little bit, but the last thing I wanted to talk about was a thing that you just posted up like yesterday or this recently, which was um, the help wanted um, issues. This is pretty cool, I think. So this is um, on GitHub. I'll put a link to this as well, but it's um, you've done marked a whole bunch of your the repositories that you work with with help wanted. Yes. Yeah, so so in GitHub, one of the um, default labels is, is help wanted, and and so for a little while, so at Mozilla we encourage community contribution. We have volunteers that come and help us work on anything that that we do at Mozilla. And so this isn't a particularly new thing, except I, I was able to go into um, GitHub and worked out the the search terms necessary for, for basically finding issues that I've authored with this label that are open and not assigned. And yeah, I think there's half a dozen in there at the moment, but um, that link will always show any issues that match that. And so these are issues that I have opened and would be happy to help mentor somebody to contribute. They're things that I possibly would pick up myself sooner or later, but they aren't necessarily blocking me. I think that's a cool idea. And I think it's um, the little extra thing that you said there, which is is great, is the items that you would, wouldn't mind somebody else taking on and also that you would be willing to mentor if somebody was confused and wanted help with doing it. So, And I think... Yeah, I didn't even know this was part of GitHub, and I th- it's pretty cool. And then also, one of the great things about having you put this up here is you figured out the magic search string, so <laughs> so that other people can do the same thing on their projects and uh, put a link to that for theirs as well. That's pretty neat. Absolutely. Okay. And then um, I've just recently started working with uh, Michael uh, Kennedy of uh, Talk Python to Me fame. Oh yes, yeah. we've uh, started a. Uh, a podcast together for news items. It's called um, Python Bytes. But he always asks people at the end of his podcast, like, what editor do you use? So I'm going to do a nod to him and ask you, uh, what editor do you use? Currently, I use Atom. Atom, okay. I used to use uh, Sublime and uh, switched over to Atom. Um, does everything I need. Does it do VI bindings? There are packages that you can install. I would be very surprised if there isn't a package for VI bindings. But <laughs> I, it's, not, <laughs> it's not something I, I like to torture myself with. Oh, yeah, okay. So, so I've been using Vim for so many decades that um, I can't use any editor that doesn't support VI key presses. Yeah, I even have trouble using Word anymore, like just writing anything. But that's, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for inviting me. And um, we'll talk to you later.